0: Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word.
1: I like to think of my home as the Kingdom of Heaven. Just a little taste of what it's like in the Kingdom.
0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple Podcast. My name is James Johnson, and I'm here. Nick, you are back with us. I was about to say i back. I was about to say as always, but you weren't here last week.
1: Yeah, I missed last week. Uh, you but have, that's cool. There yeah, was uh, enough people here or something. No, it's an unexcused absence. Okay.
0: And today we are joined by a very special guest, Reverend Catherine Booth Olson. Uh, Catherine, how are you doing today?
2: I'm well. Thanks for having me. Glad to be back.
0: It's good to have you back. We uh, we're running the gauntlet now. We we're getting everybody back in for their second and third time, and it's it's been nice to have. A, uh, a revisit with some of our older and first-time guests, so it's good to have you back, Catherine. How's your Lent going?
2: Thanks. Um, it's Lent. We live in a hurting and broken world <laughs> that's in the midst of a pandemic and social injustice.
0: Sounds like you're excited about that.
2: <laughs> I am very aware of the dirtiness of this life.
0: Yeah, uh, well, that's true.
1: That's true. Nick, how are you doing today? I'm in a good way are you it is i got a little spring fever do you yeah i'm yeah. looking out of these windows i'm thinking it is really hard to be really inside working in when yeah you could be on a patio somewhere on a patio somewhere on a beach
0: even would be even better you some just want to go beach. on spring break
1: <laughs>
0: let's go on spring actually break. i go know some people Florida you can go with, with. The rest of those heathens. <laughs> i mean
2: i got some step kids they're heading out
0: let's go <laughs> Let's go. I'm ready for the beach. I didn't get to go last year, so. I feel safe to me. Yeah. I can social distance. Yeah. I don't even want to see. I don't want to get around people. I just want to sit on the beach somewhere. I don't even want to get in the water. I just want to sit on the beach listen to the waves. Enjoy the God's sands. creation. There you go. The Aww. sands on the seashore. Indeed. Well, um, so we are in the midst of Lent. We're actually getting pretty close to the end now. I just realized today that Holy Week is next week. And um, I, it just creeps up on me every year. But uh, here and we go. And this
2: year, one should take note, if you're planning to show up for Holy Week, registration actually opened on the 23rd. Oh, that's, so it's already open. So it's open. That's so fantastic. So go to northsideumc.org holyweek Holy um, Week and sign up to join us. That's great. How many
0: services we got going on?
2: So Easter Sunday, we have five in-building services one outside service and three online.
0: And the outside service is at what? One o'clock? One o'clock outside. What, what kind of service can we expect at the one service? So o'clock the outside service?
2: service will be most like our contemporary worship service. Okay. And those services are at 9 and 1045. But the music outside will be contemporary. Matt Jackson will be leading us. Pray for some good weather.
1: Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. We got to have good weather. I need this outside service to happen. Yeah. I think it's going to be really neat, but the weather could tank it.
2: We don't want any soggy bottoms. Is there a, in the grass. is there any
1: kind of uh, secondary plan if, if it were spraying outside? No, we will just have to cancel. We'll just have to cancel.
2: Sadly, canceled. Join us online. And
1: bring your own chair. Bring your own chair. Good yeah, advice. That's a Byoc. <laughs> I like it. I like it. It's good. <laughs>
0: um. Well, today we're here talking about I guess week five. Uh, In the Devent, uh, Lent devotional, um, we are in the midst of exile. I think a lot of people were, a lot of people asked me questions about the shift from Exodus to exile and how we just kind of skip over 800 years of history of the people of Israel actually in the land. Yeah, but we covered Israel. that in Sunday school. Yeah, we did. We did. Uh, So we're talking about exile and particularly we're talking about life in exile. So we're not talking about the event of them being ripped from their homes like we did last week. We're talking about them actually settling down in Babylon and, and starting a whole new life uh, as the people of God outside of the promised land. I don't know, you guys kind of, as we went through this week, what did you, uh, what were some of the things or ideas that jumped out to you guys? Anything?
2: I mean, I think one of the things that stood out to me is what makes something feel like home. Okay. And some of the notions of some of the instructions they were getting of like how to live and thrive in a place that wasn't home, but how to make it how to make it home, but not too much of home and trying to find like, and I found it interesting. A lot of the things that you kind of highlighted James were around food.
0: Yeah. Well, that's just the Bible does that right. Yeah, And
2: how much of the conversation was like um, when you go live in the land, like go and live in the land and don't cause any trouble. But like, what can you eat and what should you eat? What shouldn't you eat? And how do you like mix in and what keeps you pure and not pure? And um, particular, as you uh, pointed out, you know, Daniel, yeah, and
0: the story of Daniel and his buddies. I don't remember their Israelite names. I can never remember. I always give them their Babylonian names, which
1: is the ones everyone knows. Which is that because they sound good? I d- like, they do sound good. Why again. did, did we Babylonians go with, know how to name things? Is Daniel the Babylonian name for Daniel?
0: Uh, I believe so, actually. And yeah. then,
1: okay, so we are like we, all Babylonian there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, yeah, you just like to say that. It's a good, they've that got a good, good rhythm. That's like Iambic pentameter?
2: Have any of y'all ever done the Daniel fast?
0: No. That comes? I have heard about this, though. What Talk, I mean, talk to me about it. What yeah, it? so,
2: I mean, the reason it came up is, you know, and so Daniel was unwilling to eat the rich, amazing food of the king, like, since he was working in the king's service. And so he decided to stick with basically what was kosher. But basically it's meat and fruit and vegetable. I think it leans towards that keto South Beach get ready for spring break kind of <laughs> diet. Um,
0: okay. All right.
2: But, but you know there's no alcohol, there's little sugar, there's not a lot of fat. I mean, there's typically not a lot of dairy in those diets because you're sound keeping like this for kosher. Me. I
0: don't.
1: Um kosher diet doesn't sound like it's for me. I bet I'd be shredded. <laughs> Just a just a couple months of that, yeah, just a couple months. But I thought
2: it was interesting that you brought it up during Lent, a season where a lot of people are fasting anyway. And Mm -hmm. Daniel chose to fast from the extravagance because he knew his people couldn't have it. Yeah, like he had access to something his people didn't have access to.
0: Right, Um. right. It's a fascinating situation. So when I was um, when I was putting this together and, and kind of going back over all this exile literature, um, most of the Old Testament is exile literature. I don't know if a lot of people know that or not. Most of the prophets are written right right as the exiles happening or right after, uh, right right endearing. Uh, the big three in particular, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Isaiah, are heavy in exile literature. Um, so a lot of it is exile literature. But as I was looking at um, this Jeremiah text that we kick off the week with. Um I, I had forgotten, I think, that Jeremiah was so adamant about exactly what you were talking about, Catherine, like building a home in the place that you're going to, because you're going to be there for a little bit. I mean, they're just reminding them that, you know, this, this whole uh, exile experience is going to be at least a generation long. And so, you know, settle in, he says in Jeremiah 29, which is a very popular passage, a very popular chapter. Uh, for us Christians. But he says, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters and find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease, he says in 5 and 6 of 29. And I forgot how adamant Jeremiah was that, you know, you're going to a place, don't act like you're visitors. Don't act like you're you know, just stay in for a little bit, but go go and make a home as you were talking about, Catherine, what it means to make a home. And for Jeremiah, that means settling down and building homes and going about your normal life as, you know, as people together, giving yourselves in marriage and getting married. And-
2: but it was an interesting but, and like, yes, go settle in, but don't become one of them.
0: Right, right. Like,
2: yes, go settle. Don't be an outsider, but don't give in to all their, like... Heinous ways, yeah. like still be set apart, still be holy.
1: Yeah. Well, I like i there's a sense of irony that, or maybe that maybe irony's not the like right in word. the Atlantis More set kind of way. Maybe or? in the Atlantis More set kind okay. of way. Right. In that one of the things that God indicts Can Israelites for us. Pause for a moment is, and
2: just imagine that everybody's singing. Black
1: Don't fly, you
0: in your name to death row, and pardon. Two minutes too late. What's the
2: line about the spoon of work? Like, it's like 10,000 spoons when all
0: you need is a knife. There we go. It's like meeting the man of your dreams. And then, and meeting, then meeting his beautiful, beautiful wife. Isn't, isn't it ironic? ironic?
2: Thank you. I knew that one was necessary or I was just going I'm to sit I'm leaving that
1: in. That's definitely going to be. So in an Alanis Morissette kind of way, Yeah. the, the Israelites are indicted by God for not taking care of the poor and not being kind to the immigrants yes. and not caring for, you know, the, the least among them. And then they're exiled to Babylon and particularly the wealthy are exiled to Babylon. And now they are the foreigners and they are in a hostile yeah. land where they've got to make a home and figure out how to still be the people of God. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: They are the least.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. They quickly become. I think that's one of the great
0: I, that is an, an irony, right? It is a it is very much a uh, it's a way in which God tends to correct us, uh, it, in putting them in the situation of the people that they refuse to listen to and hear, like the, being <laughs> the oppressed, being the ones who are ripped from their homes. Um, and what's what's great about it, you go back and read the the version of the story of the exile from Second Chronicles, and it says, um, actually, I think I put it in here. Yeah, I think you did somewhere too. in here. Um, Maybe that was last week I put it in, but anyway, the the part where uh, the people who are taken into exile, the people who are actually taken in exile, are people like Daniel and and his three friends, people who are well educated, people who have skills to offer, people who are wealthy, people who are in the upper uh, class of of the of the um of the Israelites. All of the people that had been oppressed, the poor, the people who had been trodden on by those those elite classes, they're left behind, and they're actually able to start working the land and start living off the land again in freedom. And it says the the verse is awesome. It says, and the and the land finally had its Sabbath rest is the, is the passage in Second Chronicles, I think. Um and that just that that's awesome. That's just awesome the way that, that God used this event to to correct um some crazy injustice that was happening in the land of, of Israel. Or the land of Judah, I should say. Um, and now they're they are. You got. Now if we pivot now to Daniel, and we pivot to um, this, what does it mean to build a home but not be too comfortable? You have Daniel in his fast and kind of refusing to take on the the exuberance of the of the palace because he's working directly for the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, and his three buddies. They rise in the ranks to become administrators of Babylon. Right? It's kind of like a, it parallels that Joseph story where he rises through the ranks to become the administrator of.
2: Egypt, Uh, Egypt, yeah Mm -hmm.
0: so you you have this situation where they are they're the right hand men of the king and they refuse to participate in the culture, they refuse to participate in the worshipping of the 90 foot idol whatever. which always makes me think of that VeggieTales episode with the bunny the bunny, bunny. you guys remember that? (laughs) I do remember that Uh, (laughs) but anyway, uh, they refuse to participate in that and they are punished for it you guys remember this story? From your Sunday school days, your childhood days? Yeah. What does it mean to you? What what, uh, what, what, did you take away from that story?
1: The story of the fiery furnace. I need to be faithful to God. That's it. Just that simple, huh? That's just that simple. Yeah. Look, yeah. these guys were willing to be set on fire to be faithful to God, and you're not going to have to face anything half that hard, so right. you can be faithful to God, too. Yeah, yeah.
2: I think there was also a notion of you need to know the rules so you can follow the rules. Because if you don't know the rules, you wouldn't know if you were following them or not. That's true. But when tested, one should know what is right and wrong and then obviously do what is right. What is right. But one of the things that I found that was uh, interesting is I wonder how many of Daniel's, like, Fellow individuals from the exile had thought that Daniel Daniel had already sold out.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. Because, because here he, he is yeah.
2: working for mm-hmm. Nebuchadnezzar. He is enforcing and endorsing a mm. lot of the rules and standards yeah. of the Babylonians. But on this issue, or on these couple issues, he chooses to not give in. So in some ways, he did acculturate. He did yeah become a part of the power system and yet once he finally had influence or audience yeah then he makes a move
0: yeah that's interesting i I thought about that but that that's he probably was you gotta you, there's probably well, um, some people saying oh the daniel
1: who's around him going no man i would just worship the statue yeah yeah i mean well, i would just i would just eat the food just eat the food
0: So this story of, of, um, the three guys in the fire, uh, you guys know when when they're in the fire and they're looking in the fire and there's four people in the fire rather than just the three of them because God is with them. I was always told that was Jesus. Uh, now I know Jesus is with you in the fire, (laughs) James. (laughs) That's right. Now I don't, I don't think that was the intention of the original text uh, or the story, but, um, I do find that fascinating that, that, uh, this idea that there's there's four people in the fire, there's there's somebody standing with them in the fire. Um, that's kind of cool. That's Does this text it. describe it as an
1: angel of the Lord or
2: uh, a anything th- like that? Took or? it as the notion of like um, when people ask around the notion of the Trinity. Yeah. Like, where do you see example of like Spirit of God's Spirit? Oh, okay. Showing up, mm-hmm. and that it would be more likely not Jesus pre-incarnation. Yeah. Um, but the spirit, like God's yeah. presence with them and among them. Yeah. So one of the examples of like, where do you see spirit I like in the yeah, Old Testament?
0: Good. And you get the whole fire image too. The Holy Spirit bringing the baptism of fire. Like yeah, but they were already out. in a fire. They're so hard. they were getting, well, it turned into a baptism. It'd be hard to see a fire admit, in the fire. You got to admit though, that, that is a true baptism by fire right there. I mean, that's literal fire that they're, they're stepping into because of their faithfulness. Well, and I love, I think they were pushed. Well, I no, they, they step in willingly practically, you know, like that's my, one of my, in fact, one of my favorite parts of the story is where um, basically where the, 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 King Nebuchadnezzar says, you know, either, either you worship this statue or, you know, who's going to save you because no one's going to save you. You're going in the fiery furnace. And they just straight up, matter of fact, they say, look, I don't know if God's going to save us or not, but even if he doesn't, we're not worshiping your statue. Like We're going to remain faithful regardless of what happens, regardless mm-hmm. of the outcome. And I, I know myself well enough to know that I'm down with being faithful as long as I know that what the outcome's going to be. But how many of us actually are willing to be faithful to the point of, of losing something, and maybe not just our lives, but something important to us or sacrificing something ourselves, if we don't know that we're going to reap that reward immediately? Which is faith? Yeah, I, I know, mean right?
2: fundamental yeah. faith. I mean, it's doing the faithful next faithful thing as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Like yeah. even when you don't know the outcome, because we have some notion of a bigger notion of kingdom of God eschatological. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. um, I will say, when I opened up this and you had the, you know, there's another in the fire. It reminded me of the Hillsong. Yeah, yeah. Song because they have a. Song based on this, and also the stained glass windows mm-hmm. in the prayer chapel. Oh
0: yeah, yep. yeah, definitely. Um, I um, I think that's just one of the ways in which our culture have one of the ways in which we have been enculturated by the Babylon that we live in, which is you know kind of instant gratification, the the turn to, you know, I'm I'm willing to invest, I'm willing to sacrifice if I know that it's going to be worth it if I know that the, that the reward's going to come immediately. And yet, this is a story where, we, where these guys, even if they had gone into the fiery furnace and been burned up, and I intentionally left that part out of the story here, when retelling it in the devotional, I didn't put the part where they actually survive and come out, uh, to leave it on that cliffhanger of that's where we are. I mean, we're in that cliffhanger if we're going to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, right? I mean, but how do we do that in a culture like the one that we're in right now? The nation of Babylon um, becomes a, a huge metaphor and paradigm for any culture in the Bible that, uh, that is seductive or that, that will tear us away from being faithful to uh, the kingdom of God. Um, Is it fair to compare the world that we live in now, the culture that we live in now, the country, the nation, America that we live in now, as being a form of Babylon, or is that does that seem too harsh?
2: Um, I struggle with that. I mean, because I think, um, I think very often in our current culture, the notion of Babylon um, changes every four to eight years based on (laughs) uh, presidency. And yeah. so, those there were some who were just in Babylon who are now no longer in Babylon, and some just
0: yeah, and vice versa. Yeah. Like, yeah, um, do you think that's right? I don't think that's a very biblically accurate way to apply the terminology, is it?
2: I don't, but I do think there are certainly people who will reflect that they feel like we live in a godless culture, um, that we live in a culture that doesn't extol Christian virtues or priorities that we live in a world that doesn't seek holiness yeah Uh, yeah and so and I think often that is tied to in our culture um, when we think about kingdoms and kind of powers and places of authority it's so collected to our kind of political ideology
1: sure yeah I agree with that I think it is people like Christian values, when they're the recipient of them. What do you mean? So, to interact with someone who is trying to love their neighbor as themselves, who is controlling their tongue, who's being the peacemaker, oh, who see, is yeah. caring for the widow, who's caring for the orphan, when you're the recipient of the person of the benefits of the virtues, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you're down with Christian values. But when it comes to actually living them out and just the difficulty that it is to put other people before you, you yeah. know, to take up your cross, to deny yourself, um, then Christian value is not so hot.
2: Well, and I also wonder where, I mean, in some ways where Christian values took a shift, um, what are Christ-like values and Holy Spirit attributes versus... Um, a Christian a dominant Christian culture yeah deciding who's in and who's out and particularly with the shift in like purity culture yeah and what does it mean to be pure and holy um when there's very clearly an insider outsider right and wrong um it's really sometimes it's nice to be part of one of those cultures when you're the holy pure set apart. Right, individual not when you're the one who is constantly the judge the condemn the outsider
1: yeah
0: and i think that that speaks to the situation that judah was in you know they they had developed their own version of what was pure and holy uh and a lot of people got left out who uh obviously shouldn't have been left out right so that that's definitely true and i wonder i think the thing that the thing that Judah forgot and think the thing that we struggle with as a church, especially when we get wrapped up in uh, the purity culture situation is that sanctification or holiness is always done for a purpose. It's never for our own sake. Like God doesn't make us holy or purify us or sanctify us for our benefit. It is not solely for our benefit. It is always done with the idea that we are going to be that city on the hill, that we are going to be the people the hands and feet of God, that we're going to go out and shine the light and love of Christ in the world. We forget that part, and that the light and love of Christ isn't, isn't about outside inside. It isn't about you get it and you don't get it because you're holy and you're not holy. The light and love of Christ is for everyone all the time. Um, and we, we like, to, we like to, to do the judgment thing. We like to divvy that up in the way that we think it, it belongs out in the world.
1: All right, all right, here Nate.
0: we go <laughs> what you got? you got something to say to that
1: i there i I do there is a confusion I think between what is how do we show the light and love of Christ, but also hold people accountable for also sharing the light and love of Christ? Maybe that's not our Job so, what do you mean by that? Where me living my life in the best Christian way I know how makes somebody else uncomfortable because they don't want to live that way. And so my life comes off as judgy because it is different than someone else's, and that makes them uncomfortable. And I'm not responsible for you feeling bad that. Right you aren't holding yourself to the same standard i am but uh, are you also trying to force them to live in that same lifestyle that
0: you have, that you believe is holy and right
1: well
2: part of what we've lost the notion of individual christianity versus being a covenant community
0: oh talk about that i like that
2: so most individuals who find themselves as followers of Jesus Christ, I'm a disciple, I'm saved, uh, find themselves as members of maybe a specific church. Like I'm a, I'm a Christian who happens to attend and be a member at Northside. Right. Um, but there's not this notion of when you join a lot of individual choice churches that you join in a covenant with that community to be held accountable.
1: Mm -hmm. anymore
2: like to say we're all agreeing to certain common standards or practices and within those standards and practices you will be a sinner you will fail and we will love you when a sinner and a saint but we're in this together not because the goal is purity but because the goal is faithfulness and now i think the struggle is is there are things about the about being set apart in sanctification that are are for our wholeness yeah. and our goodness. Um, and then there, I think there's some things that are often inappropriate and oppressive and exclusive, and there's not grace, there's only judgment, but we haven't entered into a relationship where I don't think most of us know each other well enough. I, when people join the church, they're not expecting others to hold them accountable. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so what do we do about it? Well, and I think that, so... And you're talking about it in community as a church, holding, holding other Christians accountable in community. And I'm kind of stuck back on the, as followers of Christ, we're going to be a blessing to the peoples of the earth. Yeah. And I I mean, we've, we've talked about before, there's different ways to kind of interpret that. Are we talking a big macro way or in a microcosm? But um, there's definitely people out there who would say Christians are not a blessing to the earth. Sure. They're actually a yeah. real big problem. Yeah. Um, with their, yeah, there's the one right way to do this. And right. And we don't like being told that, you know. Yeah. So. Well, that much was
0: guaranteed by Jesus Christ himself, right? Right. So.
2: Well, and I think, Nick, part of what you and I are also thinking on is in addition to what we've read and here, like for Lent, we just read in James hmm. for Disciple. Because um, we're in Disciple Four together, and and Disciple so, plug. Yep, there's your.
1: We get one in every so often. We should. We should. Yeah,
2: so I mean, in Disciple Four, uh, we just read, we're reading and discussing what it means um, to be. It's mostly the writings of John, particularly from the New Testament, but we just read uh, James. But what it means to be holy, what it means to be set apart, what does it mean to like um, that our tongues reflect our hearts. Um, but the interesting thing is that book calls us to so much of being set apart and holy and doing the right thing because you want to do the right thing. Uh, but it also kind of ends with, well, when someone doesn't do the right thing, make sure one of your greatest desires is to bring them back. Don't cast them out, Yeah, yeah. but rejoice in bringing them back. But I think, I think this is one of those places, James, where you might reflect on the fact that we don't balance truth and love really well. Uh, some denominational traditions... Um, and some individuals are too much truth. Like the this was wrong, this was sinful, this was unkind, this was not loving, there are consequences and like this real strict accountability and you get kicked out of the covenant. And then there mm-hmm. are other groups who are, there's so much love and grace that you're not actually held accountable Yeah, that we somehow don't do truth and love. We often do truth or love.
0: I don't think that those two things are two different things. I think truth and love are... Um... Cause, so here, here's what we learn in John. You guys just studied John. Mm-hmm. What we learn in John is that truth is not a fact. It's not just a state of being. It's not just the way things are. It's not just the case of things. It, it, truth is a person. Truth is Jesus Christ. I am the way, the life, and the truth, right? And that personhood of truth is, is, is love as well, because God is love, right? And this is the Word of God incarnate. So truth is love. Love is truth. They are the same thing, and you can't speak the truth if you're not speaking it in love. So you can be judgmental and kick people out of church or because they're not being holy or whatever, but you're not speaking truth anymore. You're speaking your own version of what you think reality is, or your own doctrine of holiness, or your own doctrine of whatever, but you're not speaking truth anymore. You've lost the love, and so you've lost the truth. I don't think those two things are separate. I think when we separate them out like that, we get in trouble, exactly for the reasons you're talking about.
2: And so, Nick, I think of what you think of when you're trying to say to someone else, I live this way not because I'm trying to judge you or make you feel bad or make you feel good. I'm just, this is my most faithful sense of.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think this Babylon, this Babylon talk that we're talking about in the exile piece is is speaks to this but culture always wins in any kind of church versus culture war over time mm-hmm. culture always wins and that that you can just see that in the history of the church almost always it always wins
2: until the end time
0: right right so but i mean like we are hard and fast on we, <laughs> I feel we, like we are in the end time like, we've born been in the end. Time. correction yeah, right there right. <laughs> we are in the end time we live in the apocalypse right now we have well,
2: and i think in an ideal world Right. If we didn't live in a fallen world, there wouldn't be selfishness and sinfulness and pride and unforgiveness. And you in an ideal world, there wouldn't be a need for divorce right? or there, you know, like there wouldn't mm-hmm. be a need for a lot of the things that we put into place. And yet we recognize that. What we used to understand is the wrong way at times might be the right way. And that's not just giving in to culture, it's yeah. dealing with the complexities of living in maybe Babylon.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean that's that's maybe that's part of the building your homes and and settling down. Um but that's that's that is the issue uh that the church has been wrestling with since the very beginning, this negotiation between what we think what we think is the right way, what we think is the faithful way. And the way that the world almost just chisels away at, at everything that we think is so important until it gets down to the core of who we actually are. And maybe things like divorce aren't that. Maybe things like sexuality and maybe things like women in the pulpit and all these things that we like to fight about and rally against and rally for. Maybe those aren't the essential things that, we're, that, that it matters one way or the other. But eventually you get to the center of the of the lollipop, right? You get to the center of, of the, the matter. You get to the heart of the matter and what is being chiseled away at that level by culture? You know, I think this this separating truth and love is one way that that happens for us. But when we're talking about how we, how we treat other Christians, how we treat other human beings, whether they're Christian or not, I think a lot of the times we use the standards of the world to, to, to judge whether or not somebody is worthy of love and acceptance, and we don't use a standard that's set by Jesus Christ. And I think that gets to the heart of what we're talking about here, but also mm-hmm. at the heart of what it means to live in Babylon.
2: And I thought that was something that you did a good job in here, James. You asked the question, uh, what does it mean to be a prisoner of hope? Um, and i wonder uh for those who feel stuck in sin and guilt and shame how do they understand themselves to be a prisoner of hope
0: that's a great question part of grace is accountability part of grace is correction and even punishment that, that you could say that this exile in the babylon by the by god and by the the exile in the babylon uh by the judeans um it is an act of grace. It is not just just God bringing wrath. It's not just God bringing correction. It's all about. It is couched in this language of this is for your benefit. This is for uh, the benefit of the land. This is the benefit of the people. Uh, and and this is something that's going to shape you. And and it did. I mean, the result of the exile is that we're here. We wouldn't be if, if it wasn't for the exile. I'm sorry, Nick. I cut you. And no, I started rambling. No,
1: I don't think he did. I mean, because I do. As as we talk about love and truth and grace um the word i'm going to use is discipline because i think we see god discipline israel you know throughout the course of their history trying to teach them a lesson over and over again um i think sometimes we feel like there is love 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 and that means that there's never any negative consequences right and I don't know that that's true. And I don't know that I'm saying that very well.
2: No, I think you are. I think, I mean, I recently saw a, like a parenting meme and it it was something like sometimes showing love is asking, have you eaten? Have you slept? When did you last? Uh, take a break. You All know, those like,
0: nagging questions. Like
2: the things that like a kid <laughs> hears of like, why are they asking me if I've done my homework? Well, I love you enough to want you to exceed in school so that you will graduate and that so you can have a job and a life that you yeah. like. That, um, I mean, the reason we send kids to time out, and I think in some ways this was God's like, I'm sending you to time Like that's right. Sometimes you need a change of scenery go so you can have corner. a change of perspective to go like, if you keep behaving the way you are, like, I mean, Nick, I've seen you walk with your kids down to the parking deck and I've seen you actually kind of snatch and grab your children as they're running towards the road Yeah. and to say, I love you enough not to do something that's going to hurt you. Right. Like, I love you enough to like kind of stop you. Grab you, scare you, because there are consequences worse, mm-hmm. yeah, than punishment. And so, for to be in to live in the exile, I do think there are a lot of times the reason we go to time out is to get a change of perspective, like to calm down, refocus, and
1: think about what you did.
2: Think about what you did, but to also kind of get the clarity that they didn't have. And you talked yeah. about like how important was it for the Israelites to go, oh, I didn't know what it was like to be oppressed. Now I do. Right. I don't right. know what it was like to like be, you know, the minority. Now I do. Like yeah. I didn't know how it must have felt, like that. This timeout was not just to like go it hang won't. out in your room and play your Xbox. It was like go. Like I'm trying to give you a new understanding because you have only seen it from one perspective, and your perspective is actually your privilege, your position is actually clouding your vision. Yeah. Not helping your vision.
1: And I think you kind of addressed that last week. Sorry, I missed that one. No, sorry, right, um, buddy. But just I that it you. had been eight hundred years since the ex- since the Exodus. Yeah. And for how long have the Israelites been living, feeling like they were untouchable? Um. And God was with them, and God was going to protect them. Yeah. And now God says, hmm, "No, I don't have to keep doing that." Yeah.
0: And it, it it would have been a it would have been a lack of grace on God's part to allow them to continue in the way that they were living. They were destroying the land. They were destroying their own people. Talking about clarity for a moment, we were talking about exile being um, maybe a moment for the Israelites to be in timeout and to gain some clarity about the situation, who they're supposed to be as God's people and who... They're supposed to be in the land that God had promised them. If they're going to end up being, if they're going to end up being the, the uh, blessing to all the families of the earth. There's a story in uh, Mark that we actually talk about on Wednesday. Um, that's one of, it's kind of a famous uh, healing story on Jesus' part because it's the one that he failed to do. It's the time that Jesus failed. I mean, the guy didn't go unhealed. I know, right? But this is this. There's it's a, it's funny because this is like the only guy that Jesus has to heal twice, uh, and so obviously when that happens in Scripture, that's like a little red flag that's going off and saying, "Hey, pay attention. Something something something's going on here that you need to know about." But he 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 spits on the guy's eyes, makes mud, spits on the guy's eyes, and uh, he can't he can see for the first time, but he can't see clearly and. He's still kind of hazy in what he sees, and so Jesus has to heal him again, and then he can see fine, right? This this story in chapter eight sets up a, a, a whole series of events that happens after that in the next three chapters, where the disciples do exactly the same thing, where they claim to be able to see uh, Jesus, but they don't see clearly, and so you have the story where the Jesus asks him, you know, who do you say that I am? And they're like, you're the Messiah. And then Jesus is like, awesome. That means we all have to go die. And Peter's like, whoa, no. You know." And then Jesus rebukes them. Then you have the transfiguration where Peter's like, he sees Moses and Elijah and Jesus. And he's like, all right, let's build some temples, right? And Jesus is like, no. And then you have James and John come up to Jesus and say, hey, can we sit at your right and your left hand in the kingdom? And Jesus is like, no. Because all three of these events and, and some, well, a couple others that happen in that series of events all about not being able to see clearly, not having the clarity. I think that this kind of half blindness or half sight have whichever way you want to talk about it, um, is something that we struggle with, right, as Christians. Something mm-hmm. that, that the exile and, and moments in Babylon, uh particularly, uh as we struggle with being enculturated, struggle with being holy, with being sanctified, with being set apart, we don't see that clearly. And I think a lot of our conversation today has been about how we don't see clearly how we're supposed to be. I don't know what is there what is what does that say to you guys as far as where we are and where we need to go as a church or as, as individual Christians for
1: that matter. It feels real tricky because it's not a matter of not seeing at all. You think you're seeing if you've never seen before. That's right. Yeah. And so to be sure that you have the vision after God's heart. that that And how do you know if you're seeing clearly?
2: Well, and sometimes you don't know you're seeing poorly until you actually see clearly. As one who wears corrective yeah, lenses, yeah. Um, I regularly will wake up. My vision isn't that horrible in the morning, and I'll wake up and do a few things around the house, and then I start getting a headache, and I'm like, "What's wrong?" Um, I will notice if I get in the car. I've never gotten that far, but like, mm-hmm. but I yeah. go to like do something that requires a, a greater sense of attention to detail, and I don't see it, and then I put my contacts in or put the glasses on. I'm like, "Oh, yeah, I couldn't see." You know, the mess on the counter or the things in my way or the little details that, so I needed them to like fix a breakfast. Sometimes you don't know how off your vision is until it gets corrected. And I do think, um, I do think it is challenging as someone um, who struggles with the notion like a very simple biblical command, very clear, is to keep the Sabbath holy. Yeah. Like there's no, I mean, it's a, it's, it's not one, one of the, the l- big 10. It's one of the big 10s. <laughs> it's not a little law. I mean, it's not a little law law somewhere in Leviticus. It's right. top 10, you know, keep the Sabbath holy. And then as one who works on the Sabbath, if we consider Sabbath to be Sunday, I, by think, I think by most standards, I do not particularly keep the Sabbath holy. I come to work. Um, yeah. Like, and so. It, then it then it becomes this issue of interpretation. And then what does it mean to say, Well, is Sabbath only Sunday? What yeah. does it mean to have a heart that seeks after um a a time, a pause to be with God? And so it's like
0: you start rationalizing, it, justifying
2: Rationalizing, and justify and then going, Oh, and so I think it even with the big ten, they get challenging, much less the little six hundred plus then all the things the Bible doesn't talk about. Right. And so I think it is. Even two really loving, faithful, committed Christians could disagree on anything from social media to dancing to yeah, mask wearing yeah to, to almost anything mm-hmm.
0: else yeah <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's right. Um, so what do we do with that? Like what? I know it. so the the first place I want to go there is like go to like the sermon on the mount right where where basically Jesus is is reinterpreting the ten commandments he's doing exactly what you just said in a in a real sense he's making them even harder than they were uh but in a in a, in a more real sense what he's doing is is trying desperately to get us to understand that these are not laws like the sabbath law for instance this is a great one because this is the one that the Israelites are always breaking and the one that Jesus is always breaking um at least in their mind,
1: Uh,
0: trying to get us to understand that these laws are for our benefit and out of grace and love. And right, these are not, these are not, God's not just setting up guidelines to see if we can, you know, make it or not. He's not setting a bar up here so that we can try to jump over it. And he's not trying to break us with these things. Like these are for our benefit. Having a Sabbath rest, we are designed for this. All of creation is designed for this.
1: So this is going to be meaningless to you too, but maybe somebody listening to the podcast will get what I'm about to say. Maybe be Stu. He listens. In the accounting world, there is generally accepted accounting principles, and they are rules-based in the United States. But internationally, they use something called IFRS, and I cannot tell you what that stands for because I have not looked at it in six or seven years. But it's concept-based. What does that mean? It means that there is not a specific, if you meet this dollar value of threshold, this much is owed in tax. It is, if you're in this vicinity because of this thing, you owe a tax. That's a bad example. <laughs> it was. Uh, that's a really. I don't think bad it
0: example. was an example. <laughs> Some generalizations. They were too. both generalizations. <laughs> but the
1: point of it is. It's not. It's not by the letter. Gap right. says in these situations you do this. Uh huh. Like it. It is this specific situation. This is the answer. Mm-hmm. And IFRS is about applying a concept to a situation so rather than being a gajillion pages long because you've tried to think of every scenario and explain what to do mm -hmm. it's much shorter because it's trying to get at the core of what you're trying to accomplish with financial accounting it seems like that 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 latter
0: system is more trusting of the people to find a make a decision that's right yeah
1: yeah rather than we don't the other one is like we don't trust you to make the right decision this is what you have to do so this is what you do versus you're a professional you tell me right what the right way to apply this is right because it's not about on sundays work includes driving cooking
2: flipping on a light switch pressing a button on an elevator right
1: right right instead conceptually sunday is about well, Sabbath is about it's about rest, right? It's yeah. about so rest. Like trusting
2: that. in God, resting so, in the belief that if, we are not in charge of our own destiny. Yeah. Yeah. We are not our own maker.
1: So every time we have this conversation, I, like I think about GAP versus IFRS. I like that a lot. I want to I learn about that. I wish I could explain it better. It's been too long since I did those classes. Well, I, we
2: I, are now making an invitation. If this is your area of expertise. Please
1: come onto the podcast and explain this <laughs> to contact us. Contact <laughs> James,
2: James J. at org And come and share how economics
1: That'll economics be, or
2: finance apply accounting. Yeah,
1: accounting it, is, it be is, mixed, is neither economics nor finance that'll, that'll be, be next accounting. favorite
0: episode we'll we will we'll, we'll switch up the dialogic disciple podcast to be a non-theological and accounting based <laughs> podcast for How at least does one accounting week
2: accounting draw you closer to jesus
1: i like that can yeah, we call it theological like. accounting 101 oh
0: boom yes <laughs> we well, yeah, so you, as you're saying that i'm thinking about my like, parenting style and I'm thinking about um, other parenting styles I see. And you, you, have, you have kids. I remember when I was a youth director, all right? So you have kids that you have to literally lay out every single thing that they can and can't do. You have those kids. Yeah. Some of the most fun, terrible kids in the world. <laughs> and then you have the kid that you can be like, look, just don't, you know, be mess things up. Yeah, just don't be an idiot. Right. And they know it's exactly what cool. that means. Like, you can trust them to make the right decision. Um, you have got four different kids at home. I'm sure there's different levels of that all across the board and Kiefer is a different little girl every day. So it's a different mm-hmm. situation every day. Uh, but yeah, I
1: mean, like, I think, I think that's very applicable to, to how we do life together. So I do, I feel like the, you know, the 10 commandments and the mosaic law, it's very, it's rules based. Yeah. And Jesus is like, well, I mean, like here's the concept we're trying to drive towards. Right, heaven. right, right. And you figure out the right way to apply it now to figure out the right way to apply it. It's going to take some Holy Spirit. So sure. you can't just show up and be like, oh, yeah, I'm interpreting this correctly. And like Catherine said before,
0: in order to do that, you have to know the rules in the first place. So like, it's not it's not that you just show up and not not know, you know, or, or just fly by the seat of your pants. Right. Uh, you have to have a basic understanding of what's happening here. But, you know, you're I trying question to, that.
1: You think so? I question that. And I, I started some mess in your Sunday school class a couple of weeks ago. Because you asked the question, who thinks the Old Testament is important? Yeah, you, <laughs> or something yeah, you like went, that. You, you went all, <laughs> you went, it went all like, no, nah, I don't even need that. And uh, I, I mean, a I was the Psalms is nice trying to be the devil's advocate, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Well, because I do think about you know somebody coming, somebody coming to Christianity or coming to church for the first time who did not grow up as a biblical scholar. Yeah, like there's still got to be something that you can get out of. The teachings of Christ without having spent absolutely, time working absolutely. on a theological degree like
0: well and maybe maybe that's not even the first and I'm I can't believe I'm about to say this but this is what popped in my head maybe the first place you start with somebody who's just coming to the faith isn't even with the bible maybe it's just with a relationship with other Christians and mm-hmm. making sure that they are part of the community the bible stuff comes slowly and it comes over time it's important primary I, I can't believe you said I that, know James. right but I think as I've as I've gotten older and
2: well the Christian community certainly did not start in scripture. That's exactly right. I mean right. so let's exactly uh, take right. actual success of this tradition it was not based in a
0: That's right. That's exactly right. I mean
2: you had 3 to 400 years of people trying to live like Jesus lived, behave like Jesus would, be like Jesus would be without the writings of the New Testament. Like they And all
0: guided by the Holy Spirit, right? Guided so, by the Holy
2: Spirit and then you know We don't get, it's not until 1500s that people could actually read a Bible. You, the notion of the primacy of scripture, yes, it exists, but this notion of diving deep into the world as an individual is so new. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It really a... is. So is
1: Catherine saying we don't need the Bible?
2: I am not. Pretty, I... much, pretty much
0: like just don't read the Bible unless you're in church. You, I mean, here, and That's not true. But, but, but there is. So the,
2: please come to church. There we is something to be said three about services. this.
0: One of, the, one of the major Catherine problems, will read it to you. One of the major problems we have with Protestantism is that everyone thinks they can sit in the closet or in their own bedroom and read the Bible and understand what it means. But all of these books were written for communities to be read out loud in communities. And the Holy Spirit works primarily in communities.
2: Well, one of the things I would love to take on in another, I want to get invited back, and I want to pick the topic. And one of the topics...
1: (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like an invitation back to me. Yeah, that sounds like an
2: invitation. Um, Is uh, I was introduced to this idea primarily through Malcolm Gladwell. Some of you may listen Uh, to his podcast. He does a revisionist history podcast. He has a music podcast. Um, But he uh, did a series of conversation around... um, Jesuit casistry? Casistry? Yeah, casistry. Casistry. Um, but this notion about how one comes to decisions um, using the kind of the principle of exceptions. Okay. Um, and how uh, he, the, um, instead of being a very legalistic understanding of right and wrong, it's a much broader sense that, um, that often an understanding of sinfulness is not a particular right or wrong. It's the failure to love, yeah. so anything that is a failure to love, yeah is sin, but so you can't name this is a sin or that's a sin it's it's the yeah. lack of love
0: and that that's a and that man, I'm not thinking fast enough to think about all the implications of what I'm about to say, but there there is there is um there is a there's a level of contextuality to that and I don't want to say it's not its not relative, but there is a level of, in each context, in each moment, there is a different way to love. It, so it's not just a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. And that, that gets back to what you were talking about with the difference, right?
1: Well, and so much of this rolled out of how do we behave in a culture that yeah, is different than what we're called to, and so I think, what did we learn from that? I mean, that, and that's what we're talking about. So in the
0: First Peter passage that we do on Friday, we talk about being a, a, a called out and set apart, being a royal priesthood of all believers, and being immigrants and and resident aliens in in a foreign land, which is what we are. Um, and I don't mean that in the sense of we're all waiting to get to heaven I mean being part of the kingdom of God simultaneously being part of the kingdom of man which is where the church sits in this kind of in-between space just like the Israelites set in Babylon but we're still the people of God
1: that's I mean like that's what we've been talking about that's the whole well that I think that's a major shift in my thinking I think from teenage years to adulthood thinking that Church was about what happened after you died, yeah. Versus, church is about what you do while you're here, right? And I've got much less emphasis on what happens after I die at this point. I mean, partly because I know, right? But that's called assurance. Bless the assurance.
2: Bless this (laughs) Jesus story.
1: no, so so,
0: I think a lot of times we think about that, that. You're exactly right, like in the sense of heaven is like this cookie we get at the end if we do if we jump through all the hoops that we're supposed to jump through. Mm-hmm. But that's not even the point. That's not what this Israelite stuff is about. It's not what the exile is about. It's about shaping the character of a people. Because if you don't become restored in the image of God, you're never you're never going to know peace. That's what you're designed to do, and that's it. I mean, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like I'm getting preachy now for some reason. You I do, have no, but I like I have it no when you get idea. preachy. No, I, so Every now and then you get really fired up about <laughs> salvation. Um, so Catherine and I were talking about apocalyptic literature before you came in here because you guys are about to read Revelation, right? What, yeah. what? Yeah. And Five
2: weeks on Revelation.
0: <laughs> and that's exactly what apocalyptic literature is about.
2: Decibel it's
1: it's going to read so different now than it did, you know, reading Revelation growing up as a teenager. No doubt. Being convinced that you know this was going to happen in the next 10 years yeah. and halloween was a tribulation themed haunted the house haunted
0: house oh i went to one of those i went to one of those with Aaron in illinois that first year at candler we went to one of those hell homes hell houses or whatever the tribulation trail oh it was so great it was about this kid named johnny and we followed johnny through his life and he came to a point of decision where he gets to decide he went to war or whatever and then he came back and He had to decide if he was going to go to heaven or hell. And then you got to decide if he's going to believe in Jesus or not. And then you got to decide if you went with him into heaven or into hell. And, of course, Aaron and I chose hell. And we walk in there, and it's this kid, like, in a cage. And there's, like, fake fire. And it's hot as hell in there. And it's like, I'm sweating. And there's, like, like, demons jumping around, like, (laughs) Scary. And then we walk out of that into the sanctuary where the pastor's like, now where do you want to go do you believe in jesus <laughs> oh i totally forgot about and that and did that moment. experience
2: actually make you want to choose differently
0: <laughs> oh no i'm glad i chose what i chose that was more more entertaining
2: but see that's i mean
0: <laughs> but no you're right you're right like, the point of that yeah. is they tried
2: to make hell so bad that you would go oh i chose poorly this I time next time i'll there. get it right and yeah, i'm like no. i don't i mean i do think there are consequences for one's sinfulness but i am a believer like vinegar rarely works like you woo people with honey that's
1: right no i agree with that yeah i agree with it in the in the divine kingdom sense and also just in the as a leader of anything yeah you need honey and locusts
0: just like John the baptist right mm-hmm So, but you guys are about to read apocalyptic literature to get back to that for just a second. And that's exactly, apocalyptic literature is about the revelation, which is what apocalypse means, the revelation of God's kingdom here on earth right now through Jesus Christ. All of it's already happened and is happening. None of it is about the future, except for maybe debatably the last chapter. But even that, I think, is in the process of becoming. So there's like there's this debate about how to read Revelation or whatever, but that it is apocalyptic. Oh, this is about to be real fun and, with our and disciple group. If you think about it, if you think about it, if you go back and if you go back and read the rest of Daniel in Babylon, right? It ends by being apocalyptic. The <laughs> problem with Revelation is when you read it like we did as kids, right? Where it's all about the future and it's about signs that you should be looking for, it, it breeds that kind of fear that we're talking about with hell or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it it becomes a completely useless book for the faithful Christian. But that book is about what it means to be faithful in Babylon, even uses the terminology of Babylon. But
2: I think recently, more than in the past, like recently, I have seen individuals kind of commenting, like, doesn't it seem like we live in Babylon? Don't you see the signs? Is coronavirus part of you know, the fulfilling of prophecy that the end times are coming.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, and
2: I think there's this constantly... Uh,
0: but that's not helpful, right? I mean, that, that completely distracts people from what the gospel of Jesus Christ is about. It reminds me of what Jesus says, right? You guys know how to read the signs of the times, he says to the Pharisees, he says to the, the Jewish leadership. You can read the signs of the times, but you can't look around and help people. You can't look around and love people. Mm-hmm. Like the signs of the times, that's not even a thing. It's not a real thing. We've always lived in Babylon. Always. We always will live in Babylon as long as this world is not culminated into the kingdom of God. And until we until we start living faithfully into that vision, we will live here forever. This is hell on earth, Babylon. <laughs> Well, Catherine, this has been a great conversation. I thank you so much for being here. I know we, got, we covered a lot of topics. We covered um, a lot of topics. It was good, though. I think we had a great talk, and, and always, it's always week. great to have you and your cheery optimism and grounded justice in this conversation. I appreciate that.
2: Thanks for having me. I look forward to coming back. Um, I'll get you a few dates.
0: Yeah. Sounds great. Anytime you want to invite yourself to the podcast, you're welcome to do so. We, we enjoy it. Nick, you got anything left for the people this afternoon?
1: I'm feeling good. I'm ready to go. I'm feeling good. Let's go out and do something I have fun. A, Let's I have go a out to Babylon and hit the Babylonian streets. <laughs> uh,
2: what is so? You got Bill. I'm gonna little shout out the Reverend Dr. Bill Birch will be joining you next week.
0: Oh, Bill's coming next week.
2: <laughs> He'll finish up. To talk about
0: Holy Week for Holy oh, Week. But that once the
2: sand on the seashore is done, what's next in the Dialogic Disciple. Like, what's coming up after Oh, Lit? you know what?
0: We do have something exciting to announce. Thank you, Catherine. We're going to do a live episode of the Dialogic Disciple podcast right after Easter. It's going to be streamed on YouTube. How... How? Well, I'll teach Nick you about it Nick sounds nervous. Nick sounds nervous, but we're gonna do it live, and we're gonna have to get a producer to help us out with that. But we're gonna oh. do it. Maybe even it's take Matt live Jackson phone available. calls. Maybe we'll take phone calls. Take oh, phone calls. Look, I'm we gotta at this. hype this up all yeah, kind of ways. Know, then, if we're gonna do. get, some we well, we'll, we'll take a break after the week after Lent. We'll take a break, and then that week, that next week, we're gonna kick off our next uh,
1: whatever season with series. Yeah, next series with a I think live. we should do episode. the podcast like British TV. Hello, five episodes or a season, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, actually, that's pretty good. We probably should figure out a way structure like that. But if you going
0: to leave me in charge of it, it's just you know, that's the way it's going to be.
1: It's just going to keep on going it's forever. Just, We're still in season one. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's <just> season one, <laughs> episode would, forty-two. I actually go back and count Not Ninety-five episodes in season yeah. one. I like it. Oh, Kelly Stoner said she would come on the. Oh,
0: excellent. I think that'd yeah, be a and good, Nate oh, that'd be a really Nate said he wanted. Nate said he wanted to come on too. Yeah. So we got a lot of people. And obviously, if you're out there and you want to come on the podcast, we've had lay people on before. Well, Catherine, thank you so much. And Nick, as always, thank you. Northside, have a great week. Peace.
1: Bye bye.